Today I want to look at the Word on the Word. Last week we talked about Jesus and the Scripture, and we talked about the fact that Jesus believed in the Bible. Now, the Bible of Jesus was the Old Testament, right? Because when Jesus was here, there was no New Testament. It wasn't written yet. So Jesus acknowledged the operation and authority of the Old Testament Scriptures. Just to review, let's look at a few passages. Um, Look at Matthew 5. Here in Matthew 5, Jesus says in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Now, when you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, you see phrases like the law, the prophets, the law and the prophets, uh, Moses and the prophets, the law of Moses, the oracles, the scripture. Uh, These are different phrases for the same thing. Okay, The Jews believed the Old Testament was fully inspired, although there was a debate amongst some of the Jewish theologians that the five books of Moses were a little more inspired um, than the other parts. But nonetheless, they believe Scripture was inspired by God. So whether Jesus refers to the law or the prophets, or the law and the prophets, or the law of Moses, he's referring to the same body of sacred writings. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. By the way, I'm reading the New King James. Um, we saw in uh, Mark 7, if you want to turn there, by the way, we'll be looking at a lot of scripture. Is that okay? We are a Bible church, right? Bible churches should be reading the Bible, right? All right. So we're going to read the Bible. In Mark 7, we have this account where Jesus gets into a debate with the Pharisees about uh, the washing of hands and the washing of pots and pans and different things. And, and, and the, con- the Pharisees uh, attacked Jesus and his followers because they didn't follow the tradition of the elders, okay, the tradition of the elders. So these are... These are uh, um, human traditions which are then imposed on the Word of God in such a way as if they have equal authority with the Scripture. Jesus uh, reproves them because he says, your traditions are actually violating the commandment of God. He says, um, he says here in, in chapter 7, verse 6, he says, uh, he answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, that was one of Jesus' favorite phrases, it is written, or it has been written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, but in, uh, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. Okay, laying aside the commandment of God. Jesus acknowledging that the old covenant, as we would call it, is, is, is the word of God, the commandment of God. Uh, verse 9, and he says that I'm all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. In verse 13, he says, uh, making the word of God, the word of God has no effect through your tradition. Okay, so Jesus is acknowledging the Old Testament as the commandment of God or as the word of God. This was his custom. One more scripture in Luke 24. In Luke 24, Jesus appears after his resurrection to the uh, two disciples on the Emmaus Road. And they're forlorn because Jesus was their hope, but as far as they knew, Jesus was dead and still in the grave. They did not know he had risen. And he appears to them, but not revealing himself to them who he was. And so he's having a conversation with them, and they're, they're um, doing what uh, many Christians do, moping. Um, um, and in verse 25, he says to them, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, why? Because they are slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ or the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then uh, at the end of Luke, 
we have the, the Lucan version of the Great Commission. We, when we refer to the Great Commission, we often think of Matthew 28, right? Going to all the world, right? This is Luke's version in Luke 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was with, still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scripture. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying a couple things here. One, that he was the object of scripture, right? He's expounding what the Old Testament says about him, okay, him, his person and his work. And then he, uh, he says it was, these things are necessary. Why? Because the scripture had spoken them. And the scriptures cannot be broken, Jesus said. They cannot be broken. Why? Because they are the word of God. Jesus asserted the historicity of the creation account. He asserted the historicity of Jonah, of Solomon, of the Queen of Sheba, uh, and many other Old Testament characters, uh, Elisha, etc. So Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He, he uh, sanctioned it. He affirmed it. And the point last week was that if we are followers of Jesus, then we are saying we believe what Jesus believed about everything. So if Jesus addresses a topic and he says, this, I believe this, I teach this, well, then as his followers, that's what we believe and that's what we teach, right? Does that, that make sense to you? All right. So we have this weird phenomenon today where people want to pick and choose things. Oh, I'm a Christian. Well, you say, well, Jesus taught this. Well, you know, Jesus didn't quite understand or Jesus was accommodating himself or Jesus this and Jesus that. And they're, they're not actually teaching the teaching of Jesus, but they're saying they're a Jesus follower. I would assert to you those things do not go together. If you believe in Jesus, then you believe in what Jesus taught. You submit to what Jesus taught. You teach what Jesus taught because he is your Lord. Amen? So Jesus endorsed the Old Testament as the word of God. Well, but what about the New Testament? Right? So, did he endorse that? Well, it, it didn't exist yet, right? So what do we do with that? Well, first, first we need to, to see that Jesus endorsed his own words as the word of God. In other words, Jesus claimed to be inspired or speaking the word of God. Let's look at a few scriptures. We are in the scripture, right? Yes, okay. Matthew 7. I'll try to go fast. Matthew 7. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the most full exposition of the teaching of Jesus that we have in one place, okay? Other than maybe the upper room discourse. Here at the end of this, he says, verse 24, 724, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What is the rock? The rock was his teaching. Really, the rock was him. But he says, my teaching is the found, should be the foundation of your life. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Uh, so Jesus is asserting that, that his, his teaching is the foundation, should be the foundation of one's life. And that when the, the, the storm comes, and I believe the storm here isn't the storm of the troubles of life. Now, we have those storms, right? And when you stand on, on the word, you get through the storm, Right? But I think the storm here is actually the final judgment. I believe it's that storm. Why? Because right before he says this, notice what he says in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day. Now, what is that day? What's he talking about? He's talking about the final day when men stand before him. 
That's the day. It's the judgment day. So it's in that context that Jesus says, build your life on my teaching, and you will weather that storm. Look at Mark. Well, we already looked at... uh, Yeah, go to Mark 8, 35. No, don't go to Mark 8, 35. Um, Go to Luke 21. I just have so many scriptures that I, I... don't know which ones to pick. There's just so much. Uh, Luke 21, 33. Here we have what is called the Olivet Discourse. This is, the, this is right, right at the end uh, before Jesus is, is betrayed and, and uh, imprisoned, jailed, if you will. And he gives this final discourse, much of it focused on the end times, right? And he says uh, in verse 29 of Luke 21, Then he spoke to them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees, when they're already budding. You see and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, the things that he had just been talking about, the wars and rumors of wars, etc., etc., know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven, this is the verse, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Wow. Sounds like a claim to a divine word to me. Look at John chapter 8. Jesus gets even more emphatic and more clear in his teaching on his own word. See John eight uh, in, in eight twenty six. Jesus says, uh, "I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, uh, but He who sent me is true. He meaning God, right? God the Father. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from Him. In other words, the things that I'm speaking to you are the things that the Father is giving me to speak. In other words." I'm speaking divine words, is what he's saying. And then he says in verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's quite an assertion about one's word, is it not? My word. Well, how can he say that? Because he's saying my word is the Father's word. My word is a divine word. In other words, my words are inspired. I'm giving you God's word or God's words. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Uh, Verse 40, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. In other words, I'm speaking the truth, and the truth I'm speaking to you came to me from God. Right? Jesus is saying, his teaching, his words are God's words. In other words, they are inspired. Verse 43, uh, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. In other words, you do not hear me because you're not of God because I'm speaking God's words, is what he's saying. Um, Verse 51, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he shall never see death. John chapter 12. Uh, Verse 42. Verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. So many of the the leading Jews and, and even a faction of the Pharisees were believing in Christ, okay? But they were not confessing it. Remember, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, when did he come? He came at night, right? He didn't want to be seen. Many rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but, um, excuse me, he who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. 
And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Could it be any more clear? That Jesus was asserting that his words were divinely inspired words. Oh, maybe one more. Go to John 14. John 14, 24, he says, He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who has sent me. So here Jesus is claiming a a full inspiration that his words were not his own, that his words were God's words. Well, in his teaching, he also asserts that the Old Testament was God's word. Okay? So the Old Testament is God's word, and God speaking through Jesus affirms his own word, saying, my word in the Old Covenant is true. But Jesus' teaching is also true, and Jesus' teaching is also inspired. So Jesus' teaching is also authoritative. Right? Where do we have Jesus' teaching? Where is it? It's in the New Testament. Now, we tend to think of it as primarily in the Gospels, which much of it is. But what we're going to see today by the end is that Jesus' teaching is really all of the New Testament, not just the Gospels. So Jesus claims his word is inspired. That word is primarily in the Gospels. But how then does Jesus authenticate the New Testament? Or how does he affirm the veracity of the New Testament? That's a different question. Regarding the Old Testament, it's easy. He just says, he quotes it and says, that's God's word. But the New Testament didn't exist yet. Well, the, the, the inspiration, if you will, of the New Testament is really inherent in the call and the promises given to the apostles. The call and the promises, okay? Uh, John chapter 20. Jesus says this to the apostles. Verse, well, start in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the, this is after his resurrection, uh, being the same, excuse me, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, "Peace be to you." When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, "Peace be to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you." And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Uh, the key verse is, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And we have to see that in the context of what Jesus prayed in John 17. right? Because in John 17, Jesus says this. He's talking to the Father. He says, I have given, in verse 8, for I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, uh, and they have believed that you sent me. Then in verse 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just I am not of the world. Then in verse 18, as you have sent me, saying to the Father, as you have sent me, into the world, I also sent them into the world. So you, you see the parallel? The Father sends the Son and gives the Son divine, a divine message. Okay? The Son sends the apostles and gives them a divine message. As he was sent, so they were sent. Now, uh, s- some of these texts we can apply in a secondary manner, right? In one sense, we're all sent. We all have a ministry. We all have a mission. We should all have a, a missionary mindset. And in that sense, we're sent. But the primary application is clearly to the apostles. They were sent in a unique way, had unique authority, unique privileges. Uh, one of those being that uh, their teaching was 
truly inspired. But Jesus also made promises to the twelve. Um, he made promises about when they were uh, what we could call special, unique promises regarding trials, but then promise, general promises about their apostolic office. Let's just look at um, a couple of these. Look at Mark 13. You getting scripture overload yet? My hand getting tired of turning all these pages? Um, Jesus is talking here in Mark 13 about the end, about persecution. And he says to them, um, verse 9, But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to the consuls, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be uh, brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony to them. Uh, And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. Uh, But whatever is given to you in the hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't doubt that there are times uh, of persecution where God has granted special grace to his, uh, his church. But in this context, clearly he's saying to the apostles that when they are brought before kings as a testimony that when they speak, God will, through the Holy Spirit, inspire those words. And we see the same promises uh, repeated in Matthew 10, uh, Book of Luke, many other, many other places in the Gospels. But Jesus gave general promises to the apostles, which really guaranteed the inspiration of the New Testament. Let's look at a few of these. Look at John 14. Back in John, this is the the upper room discourse where it was Jesus and the 12, and then at some point um, Judas leaves, so it's Jesus and the 11, right? Uh, Where do we want to begin? Well, Luke, uh, let's see. Okay, so in John 14, starting in 15, we're not going to read all this. Jesus is basically saying to them, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? He says this in many different ways. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, my Father and I will come and dwell with you. I mean, he's clearly making his commandments, uh, raising them to a level of, of inspiration. But this is the, this is the, the key part. Verse 20, after, in verse 25, after he just says that his words were really the Father's words, he says, verse 25, these things I have spoken to you while present with you. But... The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Now look at John um, 16. Before I comment, John 16. Jesus is uh, the context promising the Spirit's coming to reassure them of his presence with them. He says this in verse 12 of John 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, or my version says his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He, meaning the Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. What we see here is two things. First, we see a promise that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance what Jesus had already said. His, his teaching while he was on earth. So you wonder, well, how, did, how, did the gospel, how were the Gospels written in such a way that they're accurate? Well, Jesus tells us here, he is promising them that the Holy Spirit would guide them in bringing to remembrance his teaching. And that is the teaching that we have recorded primarily in the Gospels, right? But remember, when Jesus says he'll bring to remembrance the things that I said, Jesus had already said, what I'm saying to you is God's word. He'd already claimed inspiration for his own word. 
But now he's saying, you're going to remember my word and record my word accurately. But it's a divine word. Secondly, he says that the Holy Spirit would show things to come, that he would take of the things of Jesus, that the Spirit would glorify Jesus and take of what is mine and declare it unto you. This here is a promise of further revelation to the apostles. That is to say, um, in verse 12 of 16, he says, there's many things I'd like to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, you have need of further revelation about who I am and about what I am going to accomplish. And the cross was coming up, right? What I'm going to accomplish on the cross and through the resurrection. In other words, you have need for further revelation about my person, my work, and my purpose. But you can't bear it now. So the promise here is that they would get the Spirit and that the Spirit would grant them further revelation regarding the the person and work of Jesus. And that is the the revelation then that we have in the New Testament, in the New Testament letters. Jesus was then promising the Holy Spirit's guidance in their ministry of revealing the fullness of Jesus to the church. Now, we see this fulfilled when you, when you read the New Testament letters. You see that the writers understand what is happening. They understand that their writings are inspired. Uh, look at a, just a few scriptures. I keep on saying a few, and then we look at a lot, don't we? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll give you a minute to get the Thessalonians if you don't know where it is. But the T's are alphabetical. Does that help? Not really. When you get there, it helps. It's got to get there, right? First Thessalonians chapter 2. By the way, this is Paul's first epistle. Verse 13, he says of chapter 2, For this reason... We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Then in chapter 4, he says, um, he's exhorting them to holiness In chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Therefore, he who rejects this, meaning his teaching about sanctity in the the Christian life, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also has given us his Holy Spirit. In other words, you're rejecting the teaching of God that's been granted to us through the Holy Spirit. Look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, one of the fullest um, assertions, if you will, of inspiration. First Corinthians chapter 2. We're just going to read the whole chapter. You there? First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, or the mystery of God, some versions say. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and a power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
In other words, he's saying, the things I am speaking to you are the wisdom of God. Not only that, the hidden wisdom. I'm giving you the hidden wisdom of God. How in the world did he get that? Well, we'll see. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things also we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Um, that last phrase could be translated comparing or uh, explaining spiritual things with spiritual words, in which case this is not only an assertion of the apostles being inspired by the Spirit, but inspired down to the very words. Um, and then he goes on and he says, the carnal man cannot receive this. And in verse 16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is uh, the truth here being asserted by Paul is the truth that the we in this passage is we the apostles. Now, there's a secondary sense in which we know things, right? Uh, things are revealed to us. But how are they revealed to us? Through the word, right? Through the word. Um, well, it, the Spirit reveals things to us via the Word, but the Word wasn't revealed to us. The Word was given to the apostles, and they spoke the Word, right? They gave the message. They, they uh, declared the mystery, the hidden wisdom, and we know it through their Word, which they're saying is the, was the Word of the Holy Spirit. In other words, a divine Word, an inspired Word. Not a human word. Not man's wisdom. God's wisdom. When someone says to you, I'm speaking to you the mind of God, something that has never been revealed before, they're claiming to be inspired. You got it? Claiming to be inspired. Um, look at chapter 14. The same book. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is... Uh, discussing church order about tongues and prophecy and different things. And he says, uh, verse 37, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge this, that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Is there anything unclear about that? Is there any ambiguity here? No. What I am writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. I am telling you the mind of Jesus Christ. I am telling you the word of God. That's what Paul is asserting here. The commandments of the Lord. Pretty bold. Well, this was simply what Jesus promised the apostles. He promised further revelation. He promised the, the, the guidance of the Spirit. And, and the work of the Spirit in revealing to them things that the church needed to know. This, this is the all things that he referred to in John. All these things that they couldn't hear yet that were going to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. These are the, the things that are given to us in the New Testament epistles through the apostles. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Now Paul is a unique uh, apostle. You know why? Because Paul didn't walk with Jesus during his ministry on the earth. Now, there's a debate about whether he had seen Jesus or heard Jesus uh, teaching at some point. 
which is possible, but he didn't walk with Jesus. He wasn't a disciple of Jesus before the death and resurrection of Jesus. Okay? So he meets Jesus post-resurrection. As, as Paul says, he met Jesus as one born out of time. Okay? Um, he was late on the scene, if you will. Well, when, when the, one of the concerns about being an apostle was that the apostle needed to have seen the Lord Jesus, right? So some say, well, he saw him on earth, but didn't really follow him. <clears throat> but what we know from Acts is that, that Jesus appears to Paul. So he does see Jesus. In fact, Jesus appears to Paul quite a number of times. So Paul, you, you'll see, makes a point of saying things the other apostles don't bother to say in their writings because he was attacked on this point, that he wasn't the real deal. He wasn't a real apostle because he didn't walk with Jesus while, while on the earth. So in Galatians 1, here's when he's really defending the gospel, he's also defending himself in Galatians 1. He says this, very first verse, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So he's saying my apostleship was not a human transfer, was not a human institution, a human affirmation. I'm an apostle because of the will of Jesus Christ, the call of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about the gospel, and he says this, um, verse 11, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Could anything be more clear? The gospel I'm preaching you, and, and by gospel he doesn't mean, you know, the four points, the, the spiritual, you know. He means the revelation, the epistles that I'm writing, the word that I'm giving you, this is the word I received from Jesus Christ. There couldn't be a more straightforward uh, claim to inspiration than this. I got it from Jesus. I'm giving you what Jesus gave me. Remember what Jesus said? I'm giving you what the Father gave me. Right? Father, Son, Apostles to the Church. The divine word. Father, Son, Apostles to the Church. Um, yeah, this is so good. Um... Go to Ephesians 3. We're almost done with our New Testament survey. Ephesians 3, 3, 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Again, an assertion of revelation and hence inspiration. I'm giving you what God has revealed to me. A okay? um, couple more, then we'll wrap it up. Uh, go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So here again, Jesus is the one doing the revealing, right? The Father gives to the Son, the Son then gives to the apostles, 
the apostles then speak it and write it for the benefit of the church. He says here, um, verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island of, uh, that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Okay, And then he gets a vision. Well, this is inspiration. He's being inspired. He's describing it. Saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Okay, And then right after that in chapters 2 and 3, what we have are the things that he wrote to the churches. And these are the letters of Jesus, not the letters of John. These are the letters of Jesus. Does anybody have a red letter Bible? Okay. Are the, when you look at chapter 2, do you see any red letters? Why? Because it's Jesus right here. Now, at the end of each letter, you, you also get this saying. Like, look at chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay? So, John clearly not only understands inspirations going on here, he describes it for us. When it happened. I was in the Spirit and I had a vision. And it, part of the vision was I was being told to write the things that I'm seeing. Uh, that uh, couldn't be any more clear assertion to, to inspiration. And then at the very end of the book, the last book of the Bible, the last very end of Revelation, if you want to go there, last chapter of the last book, we get this. Verse 18. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part in the book of life, or the tree of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Amen? Hence, this is a divine word, a binding word, an authoritative word, and to add or detract from this word is an unpardonable sin, essentially. Lest one repents, he will not taste the tree of life. There couldn't be a stronger assertion to the inspiration of the words of John. So this is the pattern as I've said many times. Well, let me read one more verse and close on this. Hebrews chapter 1. Because this is the main point I've been wanting to make, that I've been trying to make, really, for these past two weeks. This is the main point. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. God spoke through the prophets, the law, the old covenant, as you will. But God now speaks through his son. Jesus is the final word. Jesus is the final revelation that God has given us. In the Gospel of John, John opens a glorious gospel with this word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and that word became flesh in Jesus. Jesus is the final, the last, the authoritative, the supreme revelation of God. Amen? Amen. 
And when Jesus, so what Jesus did as the final revelation is he stamped his approval on the old covenant teaching. He said, it's authority, it is God's word. Then he says, my teaching is God's word. And then he says, I promise my apostles that they will speak my word. The reason I believe in the full inspiration of the scripture that all of the Bible is the word of God is because Jesus is my authority. And if you are a believer in Jesus, you are called to follow the teaching of Jesus. There's a, 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 a constant temptation to shy away from some of the teachings of Jesus because Jesus says hard things. He says hard things. Things that we don't want to hear. Things that I don't want. My flesh doesn't want to hear. And so we want to, we want to cut off the rough edges. As I said before, we, we, want, to, we want to declaw uh, the lion. We want an Aslan with no teeth. But the word of God is a hammer. The word of God is a fire. The word of God is a sword. And it's, it can hurt like heck, but man can it heal. It heals. And the word, the word does surgery on our souls. Amen? It's quick, it's alive, it's a two-edged sword, it cuts deep, it cuts sunder, but it's cutting out, it's cutting out the sickness. It's cutting out the disease. And it's, and it's bringing healing and wholeness. But you have to embrace it all. You have to embrace it all. You know, I learned something about the Word of God when I, when I first had children. And I found that when I said to my kids, kids, you want ice cream? They said, yeah. I said, kids, you want green beans? No. <laughs> well, do they need green beans? Do they need the vegetables? They didn't like them, though, did they? But they needed them. It took years to acquire the taste. Years. But eventually they acquired the taste for it. Right? I said, hey, kids, you want to go to the park? Yeah. Hey, kids, want to do homework? No. Well, that's human nature. The word of God, the word of God, Jesus says that we are, that man lives by every word. Every word. Not just the ice cream words. Not just let's play at the park words, but the vegetable words and the homework words. You hearing me? All of the words. Why? Because that's a healthy diet. When you embrace all of the teaching of Jesus, you're you embracing a healthy diet. What we're doing in our society, because we're Americans, evangelical Americans living in this weird bubble we're in, which I think is going to crash soon, is we really think life is supposed to be easy and comfortable all the time. And that that's somehow, we're reading that into our text. We read it in the scripture that God wants to be happy and prosperous all the time. No, no troubles. No, nothing to discomfort me. And so we, we, we ignore the hard teaching of Jesus. I mean, you know, Jesus did talk about this thing called a cross. You remember that? Everybody remember the cross? Yeah, the cross. The emblem of shame. The emblem of suffering. Embrace that, he says. Well, I want to embrace a big screen TV and a new car, a new jet. I, no, I just saw an article, another one of these prosperity guys wants to get a $65 million jet. Lord have mercy on your church. If we cannot endure the hardest things of Jesus, my friends, what are we going to do when the trials really come? What are we going to do? What will our children do if God should permit real persecution? 
We need a healthy diet to be vibrant and strong. The church needs all of the word of God. Amen? All of it. And as Paul said to the Ephesians elders, I say to you, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And that's what the church needs today. Not just the red letters, not just the black letters, the entire word of God. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came and gave us the word of God. We thank you that you are the word of God. And we thank you that as we learn your written word, we're really learning about you. We thank you that you have given us the, your assurance of the inspiration of the words that we're reading. And we thank you that you've also given us your spirit and he confirms it to us in our hearts that your word, all of it, is true. We thank you that your word is food for our souls. We thank you that your word causes us to grow and bear fruit. We thank you that your word enlightens the eyes, that it gives joy to the heart, that it converts the soul. We thank you that as we walk in your word, we are set free. For your truth sets us free. Lord, you have been so good to us by giving us your word and your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we would truly in our hearts not just with our tongues, but in our hearts. Embrace all of your teaching. Guard us, Lord, from deception. Guard us from false teaching. Guard us from, from trying to be uh, nicer than you, trying to soften your message, trying to change your message in any way. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed of you or your words in this generation. Make us a mighty people through the power of your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.